Thank you to turn in your Bibles this morning to Luke chapter 24. It's Pentecost Sunday, celebrated all around the world, whether people are Pentecostal or not. It's, uh, it's the mark, it's the beginning of the church, and it's the beginning of one of the greatest things uh, God has ever done, by pouring out the baptism of the Holy Spirit, wonderful Holy Spirit upon all flesh, and we're going to study that this morning together, celebrate that this morning. Turn with me, Luke 24, beginning in verse 44. We talked last week how Jesus walked through the walls, stood in the room, showed them his hands, his feet, his side. And uh, then he took them through the scripture. In verse 44, he showed them how everything that had happened was was prophetic. Everything that had happened was something that was written in scripture. And he took them through the, the law of Moses, the prophets, the Psalms, everything concerning the death and burial and resurrection of Jesus. Could you do that? Would you be able to go through the, the law, the Psalms, or the prophets and the Psalms, and actually be able to uh, track what God had said was going to happen to the Messiah? And he opened up their understanding to the scriptures. Verse 45, he'll do that for us as well if we ask him to. And then he showed them how Jesus, uh, how he himself would suffer. And uh, out of that would come the remission of sins. Verse 47. Verse 48, you should be my witnesses to these things. Verse 49 is what I want to get to. He says, behold, I send the promise. Notice it's capitalized. It's not a promise. It's the promise. Behold, I send the promise of my Father. The Holy Spirit is the promise of the Father and the gift of the Son. But the Father promised the Holy Spirit. So he says, but tarry in the city of Jerusalem until you are endued with power from on high. So this powerful Holy Spirit that he wanted us to experience wasn't for us. It wasn't for the remission of our sins. It wasn't for us to be born again. It was for us to have something to give away, something that would enable us to witness, something that would enable us to live a kind of life that would help other people come to know Jesus. That's the reason for the Holy Spirit coming upon us. And he's the power uh, of God. He's the promise of God. And that kind of priority has to become something that he puts in our hearts. And we're going to continue looking at this. Verse 50, he goes out to Bethany and he's ascended. So if you go with me to Acts chapter 1, Luke wrote both of these books. Uh, he's writing to the same person, Theophilus. And so really what we're about to read is the same place that he was talking about in Luke. He's still in Bethany. He hasn't ascended yet. And he's, uh, in verse 3, he presented himself alive uh, with many infallible proofs, being seen of them for 40 days, speaking to them things pertaining to the kingdom of God. When they're assembled together, he said, I, I don't want you to depart Jerusalem, but wait for the promise of the Father. So we think it's the same thing, the same section of Scripture. Wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you've heard from me. For John truly baptized with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. And that's the proper language for that experience. And God wants you, he wants every one of us to have the baptism with the Holy Spirit. 
The idea of baptism is, is an immersion. Uh, in that, in these days, they would look for a place where there's lots of water, and they would actually lower people down into the water. And if you, if you do a study on, on what Jesus is talking about in this verse, it'd be like this. If you took a, a piece of linen, white linen, beautiful white linen, and you took it and, and, and you put it in, a, in a, bl- a bowl of blue dye, and you put it in there, and it sank to the bottom, and you brought them out. If you cut that linen in half, it'll be blue on the outside. It'll be blue on the inside. It's completely blue. And that's, that's the idea of being baptized with the Holy Spirit. It's something that he wants us to fully experience. Verse 6, they turned around. They said, now, are you about to establish the kingdom of Israel again? And he's been talking about the kingdom and they wanted God to come back and reign over Israel like he had um, during the days of uh, David and Solomon. And, and he doesn't go for that question in verse 7. He says, it's not for you to know the times and the seasons which the Father has in his own authority. But you, and it comes back to them, this is about you, but you shall receive power. That's, that word power is, is dunamis in the Greek. And it's actually where we get the word dynamite. And dynamite is a very handy tool when you need it. And, and dynamite comes in two forms. It comes in, the, in, a, in a very explosive form, if you need to move a bunch of rocks. But it also comes in the form of a nitroglycerin tablet. It's a tablet and it's actually that word uh, to keep your heart going. Sometimes you take this little tablet, you put it on your tongue, and it will keep your heart going. And so he wants us to receive dunamis, power. Power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And that's how you know if you've come into this baptism of the Spirit. There is power. Power that other people can perceive. You know you're not the same. You know something has changed. You know something is different. It's not just being born again. It's power beyond that. Power to be a witness. Isn't that what it says in verse 8? You're to be a witness to me. The whole idea is to live a life by the power of the Holy Spirit with, with something to give away that causes people to want the kingdom of God, want to surrender their lives to Jesus. And in verse 9, they, uh, they take him out and they watch him ascend. They watch his, his sandals, the bottom of his sandals, and they see him ascending, going up into heaven. And uh, two angels st- stood there in verse uh, 11 and said, just as you saw Jesus go, you're going to see him come back again. I don't know what you read in the news, but this world is not going to be hit by a, a great meteorite or, or uh, uh, something from outer space that's going to ruin the world. It's not going to come through the collapse of civilization. It's not going to come through global warming. It's not going to come through a nuclear holocaust. There's going to be a world with people on it when Jesus comes back. He's going to come back exactly the way he lifted off. He's going to come back. We have that assurance from Scripture. So what they did is they left, they went just a a short distance from uh, Bethany, uh, and they went down through the uh, valley and up into Jerusalem, and they went into an upper room, verse 13, and it describes who is in that upper room, which includes Mary, the mother of Jesus, and, and his brothers. And so they're all together, there's 120 people in this upper room. God is not a... He's not afraid to work with nothing. He starts everything with nothing. He likes to work with small things. I mean, he, everything about the kingdom is seeds, little things. 
a repeated action of sowing of a bunch of little things could do great, something great. So here the church is meeting in an upper room in Jerusalem, and there's 120 people, and that's, that's how this worldwide uh, powerful Church of Jesus Christ has started. It started with something very, very small in this upper room. And uh, they deal with the uh, replacement of Judas. And Judas is mentioned in Scripture. And he's mentioned in the Psalms that he has wife, he has kids, he has a, a calling and a ministry, and they deal with that. Jesus is predicted in the Psalms, the Law and the Prophets. Judas is mentioned also in uh, the Psalms. Your life was written before it was. God's in such control that he actually wrote your life, just like Judas's life was written, Jesus's life was written, your life was written, and we need to find out what he's written for us. So he goes into that. Now let's go to um, Acts chapter 2, verse 1. When the day of Pentecost had fully come, they were all with one accord in one place. They've just spent 10 days in isolation. You know what it's like to be in isolation. 10 days of nothing. 10 days of praying. 10 days of being braided together with God. And suddenly, there came the sound of a mighty Russian wind. I don't know if they felt wind, if their hair was moving, if their clothes were moving, or it's just this awesome roar of a mighty Russian wind. God's breathing into the church, this 120 people, the Holy Spirit. Uh, I've heard some awful, awesome wind in my life. Uh, I was in a typhoon one time in Hong Kong, and, and it just was like a train was going through my little apartment where I was staying. Never heard anything like it before. Awesome thing. The room was filled with the sound. And then, as they looked at each other, their heads were on fire. So 120 people and their heads are uh, on fire with a, a tongues of fire, which sat on each of them. And then verse 4 says, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. That means they were influenced, they were uh, under the influence of the Holy Spirit. And they spoke in tongues, a language that they'd never heard before. Jesus hadn't spoken tongues. Nobody had spoken tongues before. It never happened in the history of the world. When God starts something, he always starts with signs that indicate that he's working. And Isaiah prophesied at this moment about a sign that would happen where people would speak in other tongues. And this is what happened. They were speaking in other tongues as the Spirit gave them the ability to speak in tongues. That's normal. That's what, that's what God had planned to start the church. He could have started the church a hundred different ways. But from his perspective, sitting in heaven, thinking about the day, I'm going to start a church. I'm going to start the church. He'd been longing to do that. Everything he'd been doing is just to bring it to a point where his kingdom can come and he can establish the church. And he decides to do it with the sign called speaking in tongues. There are many people who despise it. There's lots of different reactions to it. Uh, you can re we can read some of these reactions here. Um, as they were speaking in tongues, it went out onto the street, and people heard it. They could hear it coming from this upper room, coming out through the windows, coming out through um, the balcony, and coming down onto the street. And it talks about uh, the people on the street. Verse 7, they were all amazed and marveled, saying one to another, uh, look at uh, 
Are they not all Galileans? Yet we hear them speaking in our own language the wonderful works of God. And when I count the nations that are represented here, there's 16 different people groups, all of them individually hearing in their own language from people who don't speak this language. They're hearing the wonderful works of God. Verse 11. Now here's three reactions. Verse 12. They're all amazed. Some were perplexed. That means they didn't know what to think. They're completely clueless as to what was happening. And they questioned, they said, what could this mean? In verse 13, others mocked, saying they're, they're, full of, they're drunk, they're full of new wine. Those three reactions are the three reactions we see to this day. You're going to get probably one of those three reactions. That when they find out you speak in tongues, they'll think you're crazy. They won't understand what you're talking, or they'll be amazed, or they'll, they'll mock. They'll make fun of it. That's normal. Those, these three reactions are the ones I see everywhere I go to this day. So verse 14, Peter stands up, and he raises his voice, and he, he calls out to them. And he said, verse 15, these men are not drunk as you suppose. It's only the third hour of the day. It's 9 o'clock in the morning. He said, but this is that which was spoken by the prophet of Joel. Now, Joel was a young prophet who stood up and proclaimed that the Holy Spirit was going to come. So Peter refers to this scripture and describes what Joel had seen. And he said, now what you see and what you hear is what Joel prophesied. Now let's look at this whole thing with Joel. Because this is the promise. What Joel said, there's no other promise. I've searched the scripture. I looked to try to find out if there's a moment where God said, I promise to give the Holy Spirit. I can't find any other moment other than this Joel moment. And Joel stood up and said, the Father's going to pour out the Holy Spirit upon all flesh. And, and Peter said, this is that. Let's look at it. And it shall come to pass in the last days. So this is 2,000 years ago. Job was prophesying about the last days. Peter says, these are the last days. So if these are the last days 2,000 years ago, we must be in the last of the last days. I think things are wrapping up. It shall come to pass in the last days, says God. I will pour out my spirit on all flesh, and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, and your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams. And on my men servants and on my maid servants, I will pour out my spirit in those days, and they shall prophesy. And I will show wonders in the heaven above and signs in the earth beneath, blood and fire and vapor and smoke. The sun shall turn to darkness and the moon into blood before the great and awesome day of the Lord. And it shall come to pass that whosoever or whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. And Peter goes and he brings life to that. Let's just stop. Now, I just read that to you, and you can, you can hear it and maybe not really grasp it, not really take it in, in part because you're not Jewish. I don't think you can really appreciate this. You can read this, you can hear it read, you can read it yourself, but you'll not get it the way they got it because you're not Jewish. Now, just for a few minutes, let's pretend we're Jewish. 
Let's listen to this again through Jewish ears. It changes everything. Because for us in Penyan and New Yorkers and growing up in the church or new to the church, it just doesn't impact us the way it would have impacted these people. Now, let me, let me just put it this way. Let me, I won't read it. I'll, I'll tell it. Prior to this prophecy, very few people had the Holy Spirit. There were times in Israel's history, one person on the entire planet had the Holy Spirit. There are times, for example, in Moses' ministry. Moses had the Holy Spirit, but nobody else had the Holy Spirit. And God took the Holy Spirit from off of him and put the Holy Spirit on the elders of Israel, which was a very rare move that God did. And then there are times that uh, uh, there'd be a young guy like David where the Holy Spirit would come upon him and turn him into another man where he would do exploits and we'd become awesome and powerful, mighty uh, he would um, run toward Goliath when everyone else was cowering in their tents because the Holy Spirit was upon him, and he would do something that would save the day, that would change history for the nation of Israel. And there are many different times where they knew the Holy Spirit would come upon their young people with power. Uh, and, and there was a time, for example, when Israel, uh, Jerusalem, was surrounded by five major armies all bent on destroying them and they had no idea what to do they're completely perplexed they're surrounded and all of a sudden some young guy would tilt his neck back and out would come this prophecy prophecy that would say this battle is not yours this battle is mine you'll go out and you'll i'll fight this battle for you you'll go out and you'll see that i've already taken care of this and 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 they would go out the next day worshiping leave their weapons of war at home and they'd go out singing and come and they'd find all the people who were against them slain and they'd spend the next seven days just picking up the booty all because the Holy Spirit came upon one young man in a changed history and then there's Elijah and Elijah that were just so awesome but they're covered with the Holy Spirit and they would have these small schools discipleship schools of prophets and they were awesome and there's different times, even a, a woman named Deborah, uh, a time when the, the leadership in the country was awful and the, and the uh, other nations were, were preventing them from even getting their crops into the field. And God would come upon a, a young guy named Gideon and come upon a woman named Deborah. And she'd just become an awesome uh, leader for her nation and, and change the course of history. Now, what they did is they put two and two together and said that the, the deciding factor that changed everything was the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit. It wasn't an individual. It wasn't just David. It wasn't just uh, uh, Joel or someone who would have the Holy Spirit. Come. It was the Holy Spirit himself that changed history. And now here's what God is saying. They knew the history. They knew the Holy Spirit was a game changer. They knew the Holy Spirit was a decider. It changed everything. And here God lays out this promise that says this. Here's what I'm going to do next, folks, in the last days. What I'm going to do is I'm going to, I'm going to pour my Holy Spirit upon all flesh. It's almost as if God was saying, I've been given the Holy Spirit with an eyedropper on this person, on this person, 
on this person. But what I'm going to do next, you're going to be amazed. I'm just going to pour him unilaterally upon all flesh. Whoever wants the Holy Spirit can have him. I mean, this is such an amazing promise, especially when you hear it through Jewish years, when you know the Holy Spirit saved the day. The Holy Spirit changed history. The Holy Spirit saved our nation. The Holy Spirit would come upon an ordinary young person, and he'd become another man, mighty, powerful. And now God's promising that he's going to do that upon all flesh. You know, the Holy Spirit was so holy, so such an amazing privilege. I see the Holy Spirit coming upon David. I can't see the Holy Spirit coming upon another king after him. The Holy Spirit came upon the prophets all through church history, or Israel's history. I see the Holy Spirit on some of the priests, but not all the priests. So it's very selective. For you to grow up in Israel, you'd have to be a king, a priest, or a prophet to have the Holy Spirit. Ordinary people like us, not a chance. Not a chance. He's out of our league. It's beyond us. It's, he's too holy. It's too special. Not, not even everybody could have the Holy Spirit. Just maybe the, the odd king, the prophets, sometimes the priests could have the Holy Spirit. Otherwise, it's out of reach. It's beyond us. And God says it himself. He says, I'm not satisfied with that. I don't want a few prophets. I want a nation of prophets. I don't want a few people having the Holy Spirit. I want all my people to have the Holy Spirit. And so God initiated a promise. Now, when you look up the word promise, one of the things that was striking about it, it's something that's initiated by someone without being asked. So it wasn't like people were pleading with God, give us the Holy Spirit. Nobody prayed that prayer because no one, no one could ever get their head around that kind of thing, that God would give the Holy Spirit to everyone. He was out of our league. He was out of reach. But God said, I initiate this. You're not asking. I'm promising. You're not seeking. You're not, you're not pleading because it never entered your mind to even ask for the Holy Spirit. No one, no one was asking for the Holy Spirit. Except David was saying, don't take your Holy Spirit from me. Don't, he was pleading, don't take him from me. He's everything. He's, he's changed everything. He's everything about me that I, that I love. It comes from the Holy Spirit. He's made the scriptures come alive. He's given me visions of the, of, of, of the Messiah coming. I mean, the Holy Spirit was a game changer for this little shepherd boy. So God comes along and now listen through Jewish ears. This is what he says. He says, I'm going to take the stable sweeper, and I'm going to pour my spirit upon the stable sweeper, and I'm going to pour my Holy Spirit upon the dishwasher, and the lady who, who's feeding the chickens and, and doing your dishes and cleaning your, your, your sweeping your barn, I'm going to pour my Holy Spirit upon them, and they're going to prophesy, and they're going to have visions. It's now, it's now beyond anything anyone could ever have imagined. It's too good to be true. It's so far beyond anything they could have ever asked for that the precious, powerful, holy spirit would come upon ordinary people. 
And God wanted a nation of prophets, a nation of priests, a nation of kings, young people. Holy Spirit clothed young people. He said, I promise, I promise, you'll know it's the last days because I'm going to pour out my Holy Spirit. No more selective, no more little eyedropper, no little more dabble, do you? Just on a few people. I'm going to pour him generously, unilaterally, across anybody, anybody who calls upon the name of the Lord to be saved, anybody who calls for the Holy Spirit can have him. Can you imagine the generosity of our God? And the Jewish people marveled. Are you kidding me? The Holy Spirit upon my kids? Upon me? Peter gets up. This was electric. When he got up, he said, this is what Joel prophesied. You can just imagine the hair standing up on there. Everyone knew what Joel prophesied. But that was always out in the safe future. That was always out in the safe, you know, by and by. But now it's, now it's here and now. Hard to believe. Hard to believe. No wonder they're listening. And he said, this what you hear, this what you see is the Holy Spirit being poured out. What a moment in history. Thousands of people listening. Then he goes to work at this whole thing. He says, now, I want you to understand something. You guys killed Jesus, but it was God's plan. Nothing happened that wasn't God's plan. He purposed it. You fulfilled it. You acted it out. But it was God's idea. And he said, you've had this idea that the Messiah, the King, would come, but we want you to know he was to come, he was to die, but he was to rise again from the dead again. And he goes to work preaching at that. And he used the very verses where David saw the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. And he's, Peter's taking him through the Psalms because he's just had them come alive for him by Jesus himself. Jesus would take him through and say, this is me. This is, David wasn't prophesying about him himself. How would he say, Lord, who's my Lord? Sit at my right hand. That He wasn't talking about him. It's the son of David. It's the Messiah. And Jesus would take him through. So Peter takes them through the scripture. We can't take time to go through it, but it's truly worthwhile reading. Look at verse 33. He said, therefore, being exalted at the right hand of God and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he poured out this, which you now see and hear. He said, now, verse 29, let's just go back a second there. He said, he wasn't talking about David. He said, David saw corruption. His tomb is among us. Now, Nelson and I were in Jerusalem a couple years ago now. And we went to the upper room, what they, they believe was the traditional place for the upper room. Physically, it's been changed. There's been new construction. There's been new stone. But they believe it was the place. And the reason they feel it's the place, it's, it's the upper story of David's tomb. So you leave the upper room. You go down these stairs. You come around. And then we go into this little side door. And there's David. There's David's stone casket. Covered in, covered in special cloth, and there's people in there praying, and you have to wear a skull cap to get in. It's the tomb of David. When he says David's tomb is among us, 
I mean, he wasn't kidding. It's just down, it's underneath this upper room. It's the downstairs of the upper room. David, David saw Jesus, and he needed to lay into them the scriptural reason for what they're about to believe. They responded, verse 37, they said, man, brethren, what do we do? What do we do with all this, what you've just preached, what you've just said? Peter said to them, verse 38, repent and let every one of you be baptized. I mean, you could say you believe. You could say in your heart that you believe, but it doesn't mean anything. Show me. Show me that you believe. Show me that you believe by being baptized in water. Show me that you believe by taking some steps of obedience. Comply. Lay down. Let someone lay you down in the water. So he said, for us to know that you really believe at a heart level, you have to get, you have to get in the water. You have to be baptized. Repent. Believe. Be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of your sins. And you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. What an amazing promise. You receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Look at verse 39. This promise is for you. It's for your children. It's to all that are far off. As many as the Lord our God will call. Hallelujah. This promise is for you. What's, what's more far off than Penyan? I mean, they're in Jerusalem, Jewish people. Here we are, Gentiles in Yates County. What's more far off than us? <laughs> we're so far. We're so far from everything that happened here. But this promise is for you. This promise is for your children. This promise of God clothing you with his powerful Holy Spirit, dying you with his powerful Holy Spirit, you having power to make a difference in the lives of every person you come in contact with, this promise is for you. But you have to receive it. He'll never cram it down your throat. He can't force grace on anybody. It, it, it ruins the very nature of grace. It, look at the language as gift. How do you take a gift? Can, you know, can you imagine someone taking a gift and cramming it down someone's throat? This is a gift I want you to have. It can never happen that way. It violates the very nature of the promise. The promise has to be received. And it's a game changer. It will change everything. It will change everything. It's a game changer. With many other words, <clears throat> he testified and exhorted them, saying, be saved from this perverse generation. Verse 41, they gladly received his word and were baptized. And that day, 3,000 people were saved, added to the church, and they continued in fellowship and doctrine, prayers, breaking of bread. That's the beginning of the church. 120 people in an upper room in a, in a day, one sermon, a sermon with no illustration, a, a sermon with no jokes, 
a sermon, just a straightforward, just, just straight and narrow sermon. Started the church, 3,000 people. From a guy who just, just days before had denied the Lord three times. He said, I go fishing. Just, I'm no, enough of this discipleship stuff, enough of this waiting. I'm going back to business. But the Holy Spirit coming upon him was a game changer. Ordinary fisherman who became a mighty, mighty apostle of God. So the question is, what about you? You need to repent, receive the word, take steps of action that show that you mean it. You can't just say it in your heart. You have, you have to show it. You have to step forward. You have to. The reason we ask people to come forward uh, oftentimes is because it's not enough if you just say, I believe that. I believe what Penn just said. I believe what the scriptures he just read. And if you leave, nothing will happen. There's something where you have to act on it. You have to step forward. You have to take some kind of step to show that you really believe this. 3,000 people. I was in a baptism in Chile one time. They asked me to speak at a baptism. Group of people I'd never met before, a denomination I'd never met before, but somehow we connected and they asked me to, to be there. And we baptized 300 people. 300 people clothed in white, walking out into the ocean is a sight you'll never forget. 300 people. And it took quite a long time. They worked out this crib system where a bunch of people stood out in the water and they passed the person along to, from one person to the next. They lowered them in the water. 300 people. I forget how long it took, but we were there all afternoon. 3,000 people. That's quite a thing. Even if 100 people were doing the baptism, I mean, they're, they're baptizing 20, 30, 40 people at a time. I mean, there's, they're probably getting some of the new people who are just still wet from being baptized, baptizing other people. Would it be a moment that would be to see? And then to stop and say, okay, now that we do that, now let's lay hands on them so they can receive the promise of the Holy Spirit. They laid hands on them so they could have this experience. They didn't wait. They didn't have classes they didn't have anything in between. It's, it's be saved, be baptized, be baptized in the Holy Spirit. That's normal. That's, that's absolutely normal Christianity. When you go to India, when you go to Africa, that's normal for them. They don't break it down. There's something that's happened in our Western culture where we say, you know, yeah, maybe you get saved and you do uh, some kind of a study course, catechism, and qualify to get baptized, and you qualify for getting baptized. Maybe at some point in time they might pray for you to receive the Holy Spirit, but, but it's just so broken down. It's so much in our heads here, it's just raw passion of them just surrendering to the nth degree and God just giving them everything. Something's happened in our Christianity where we've broken it all down in easy to, easy to digest pieces, and sometimes the pieces don't even, don't even happen. Here's what I want for this church. I want this church, I want this church to be a, a first century church. I want this church to be uh, truly a Pentecostal church in this tradition, in this style. Here's what I believe. I believe if you give your heart to the Lord Jesus, you surrender to him for the remission of your sins. You deal with the sins. 
what we want to do is as soon as possible, we want, to, we want to take you to the tank and we want you to be immersed. We want you to follow through. We don't want you to wait. We don't, we don't think there has to be any instruction classes. And there's no membership where we baptize you and you now become ours and become members of our church. We don't believe in any of that. We just want you to surrender to Jesus. We think there's life in that for you. And then after that happens, it could even happen the same day. It could happen five minutes later. It's normal. Our normal should be that someone, uh, you, you have to be willing to receive and you have to be willing to even ask, but because the Father gives the Holy Spirit to those who ask. What's normal is for someone to lay hands on you who has the Holy Spirit so that you can receive the baptism with the Holy Spirit with power. Now you've got something to give away. Now you've got something to make a difference everywhere you go because you don't have enough. You don't have it. In yourself, you can't possibly bring about the kingdom of God, which is uh, of righteousness and, and peace and the Holy Spirit. We need to extend the kingdom of God. What about you? What's stopping you from going all in? What's stopping you from receiving the promise? Here's what I'd like to see happen. I'd like to see every one of you, I'd like to see every one of you receive this promise. I'd like you to receive it without even leaving. I, I want you to receive this promise. It's for you. Claim it. Take it. It's for your children. Moms and dads that are here, I encourage you, take your children through the book of Acts. Show them the wonderful changes that happened when the Holy Spirit came. Take them through the Old Testament. The Holy Spirit would come upon somebody and change the day. Introduce them to Deborah. Take them, introduce them to young David. Show them what the Holy Spirit looks like on an on a ordinary person. And say, now, son, I want to lay my hands on you. My daughter, I want you to be a, De a Deborah. I want you to be mighty in God. Let me lay my hands on you. It's, it's moms and dads. It's your privilege. It's your responsibility. It's something, it's normal. It's something you should do. It's normal. It's New Testament. Don't wait. Don't wait for them to get old enough to figure it all out because then it might be too late. It's for your children. It's for those that are far off. It's one thing to receive the Holy Spirit, but where the life is, is giving him away. And that, that happens. There are people who have received the Holy Spirit, and, and you wouldn't really even know that there's been a, a major change. You, wouldn't, you can't hardly perceive it. And the reason is, is because it was never intended for us to, to sip on, to take the heart, keep in ourselves, and never say anything more about it, never do anything more about it. The, where the real power is, is when you start letting him out, giving him away, extending him. It's one thing to be saved, but it was one thing that's better than being saved is you sitting at a kitchen table with someone who doesn't know Jesus, and you lead them into salvation, and them into the remission of their sins, and... Uh, one thing that's better than you being healed is you laying hands on people and you can feel the love of Jesus come through your hand and touch them and they're healed. That's even better. It's more blessed to give than it is to receive. Nothing like you laying hands on someone and them 
feeling the power of the Holy Spirit coming into them. It's an awesome experience. If you haven't experienced that, I challenge you today to make up your mind now. Make up your mind. Say, I'm not going to let another, another year go by. I'm not going to let any more time go by. I'm going to extend this promise to somebody. I want the Holy Spirit that's in me to be transferred into somebody else through the laying on of hands. I determine that I'm going to give away God's best everywhere I go. If you don't make up your mind that way, it'll never happen. But he wants you to give him away. Amen? Amen.